You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to The Worship Review. Thanks for joining us for another week. I'm Colin. And I'm Tyler. And we are going to talk about King of My Heart by John Mark McMillan and Sarah McMillan. As always, we are going to look at three things. We're going to ask what the song is about or who the song is about, what happens in the song, and we also want to know whether the song is consistent, coherent, and clear. So, Tyler, let's start off with that first question. What is the song about? Who is the song about? This song is about the desires, the wishes of a worshiper, um, where he or she wishes to run, hide, and drink. We also see some praise of an unspecified you uh, for goodness or being good, and also a refrain on the promise uh, that this you is never going to let the singer down. So from the words of the author herself, Sarah McMillan, I got this from John Mark's um, Facebook page. She said, these are her words, this song is about the tension we often find ourselves in in this life. At the time I wrote this song, I was processing the divorce of my parents and at the same time experiencing the overwhelming joy of having children of my own. Both experiences changed my identity so deeply. I wrote King of My Heart to remind myself that there was no joy or sorrow that could dilute the pure goodness of who God was. Everything I thought I lost could actually be found in the force of his goodness." Wow. So it sounds like there was, she was dealing with a lot at the time. Turbulent emotions. Yeah. God is explicitly named in one version of the song in the original version. It's still not in the second person, you, that we might unite those two, but I think we can reasonably infer that that's who is implied. Yeah. But not all versions of the song include that. No. So there are some, there are some performances and maybe I... Maybe that's an okay word to use. There are some performances of this song where it's just assumed that we're talking about God, but there's never any clear indication in the song. So is is it the case, Tyler, that in addition to not having the you defined, the second person defined, that, I mean, does the language give any sense that this is God of Scripture, God of the Bible, or... Are there any other ways to try to figure out who is being sung to? If you are a Christian, you can place the metaphors that this song uses into context and infer quite readily that this is the God of the Bible. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my. The shadow where I hide, I think uh-huh. we see this image of uh, image from the Psalms of, of God protecting us in the shadow of his wings. Mm-hmm. Um, the ransom for my life, we can 
infer that that's about Christ's life being a ransom for many. Yeah, that to me was the metaphor that most closely aligned with some kind of image or idea in Scripture. Christ's life is a ransom for many. In the day of trouble, we should seek to hide ourselves in him. So maybe that's where we could interpret the mountain where I run or the shadow where I hide. And we should be sustained by the Holy Spirit. Um, So we should drink from God's word as well. Um, Yeah, verse 1 is a lot better than verse 2. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, But I would say calling the king of, not my heart, but the universe, the wind in my sails, is a little bit demeaning, I would say. And we're not trying to be obtuse here. Obviously, when this comes on in a church, when it comes on on the Christian radio station, you know what it means when you're listening to that, when you're singing that. However, the fact remains that unbounded from those contexts, it is utterly ambiguous. It's important to actually be specific. And for anyone who still objects, I would maintain that the Psalms do this clearly. And if the Psalms are to be some template for how we structure our worship, we see phrases, we we see you, we see the second person pronoun, but not vaguely tossed out. It's, It's always, oh Lord, my God, I have confidence in you, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, and so on and so forth. These these aren't unmoored from objectivity. And to have a whole song where that happens, where you might be singing, the church might be singing for five minutes, or if the song's really good, you know, 10 minutes, without ever defining that, that's a problem. I challenge people sometimes to listen to somebody pray, and almost everybody does this. And it's not a bad thing. When people pray, they often repeat the name of God over and over again. Oh, Lord, will you be with such and such? God, you have cared for her before. Will you please heal her right now? Oh, God. Will you? Like, we just do that subconsciously. And also, just continuing to ensure that the focus of our prayer is on God. And I think that's a good thing. And we see it in the Psalms. You're right. But if we're just kind of lost in a worship song and that song does not have clear indication of who God is, at some point we're just lost. We're not lost in God. We're just kind of lost in a sea of emotion and collective exuberance. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. In the verses, we see a subjunctive voice, let the king of my heart be this. So it expresses a wish or a desire um, for the individual. There are different ways that we use the subjunctive in English. So phrases like long live the king, that's a wish. Uh, Often it is expressed in the sense of whether or not that's likely to happen, we wish for it and we hope for it. But on the other hand, we don't need to wish for these things to be true if they are promises that we already have in scripture. So for example, let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide. Well, we see in, I believe, Psalm 90, O Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout generations, period. Not a wish, not a, not a desire that's either fulfilled or unfulfilled. That may be a desire that I have, but it's also a fact. It's also objective. It's also true. 
I, I can't recall the subjunctive being present in a lot of worship songs. One fine example of a wish that is also a promise that we can hold on to would be something like the Aaronic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Bless there is a subjunctive form. It's not the Lord blesses you or has blessed. It is a wish for the people of God, but it's also a promise that we can hold on to. He has blessed us in Christ. We are safe and secure and we can take refuge in him. So I don't want to be too critical of the use of the subjunctive mood, but it is interesting to note that in this song in particular, no definitive statement is made about objective reality other than you are good, um, he is my song, and you're never going to let me down. Everything else is... A desire, a wish. Or or a metaphor. Yeah, or a metaphor couched in a desire, like, um, let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails. The anchor in the waves, oh, he is my song. Let the king Yeah, I, that means. I'd love to talk about this. So <laughs> yeah. the, what the author intends is the, the way in which I move around the seas of life is being propelled and sustained by God. I think that's the best spin that we could put on it. But, <laughs> but obviously there are problems with this too, right? God doesn't just exist to propel our... Uh, our sails throughout the oceans. He is the ultimate end goal of where we're going. It's strange to me that the singer says that God should be the wind in their sails to, again, propel them, but then immediately after wants an anchor. Right. So there's a metaphor of like lifting off and sailing away. And then immediately you have a contrary metaphor, which is all about standing still. Mm -hmm. Those are both nautical metaphors and yet they're they're completely in contrast. So for once we finally have a song that actually uses two consistent themes, themes <laughs> of metaphors, but the contradiction now is in what the metaphors are actually doing. And then after slowing down, the person then wants the king of their heart to be the fire in their veins, which I presume is related to passion or I excitement. would love to can you tell me what this means? I don't. I don't know what that means. Fire in my veins. I googled fire in my veins, and one of the first things to show up was a 2015 study on the effects of different forms of heroin use on the human vascular system. And it turns out because some heroines being grown in different climates require different uh, chemicals to form a solution, some end up being more acidic than others. And so Sometimes heroin users complain about fire in the veins and feeling that. And so obviously that is not yeah. what we can't fault the singer no, 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 or no. the songwriter. For the accidental reference to hard drug use. No, but but <laughs> at the same time, being careless with your words has these consequences. So I don't know what they meant by fire in my veins, presumably passion. Um you know, our veins supply us with the necessary oxygen that the cells in our body need for life. So again, maybe similar to the wind in the sails, it's a propulsion, it's uh, 
carrying us. It's keeping us moving, but it's, it's very reckless wording. I mean, the verse, the second verse is just a giant mess. I, can you tell me what echo of my days means? I tried to search for that and I could not figure out what that meant. The best way that we might look at this is I live my life in such a way. I spend my time in such a way that the resounding echo from my actions is the name of God. It is Christ or it is, um, it is the Lord. Okay. Um, so because I have made him the center of my focus for the day at the end of the day, Christ echoes throughout what okay. I'm doing. That's, that's I th- very generous of you. I think Thank you. <laughs> that, that, that's the most sense I can make of it. Otherwise, obviously, I mean, obviously it has to be interpreted figuratively because days don't have echoes. So we have to, we have to grasp at straws a little bit. Yeah. And again, for people who hear a song like this and are just emotionally carried away and wondering what on earth we're doing by trying to pick this apart. But again, just think about it. If if we can't figure out what the song means, people in the congregation are going to have all sorts of guesses as to what a so- what these metaphors mean when they're singing. And who knows whether all of them are going to be good and helpful and scriptural. So what does it mean that the person needs wind in their sails? Like, are they, like a person could be saying, okay, well, I just, I need some motivation to read the Bible. Well, that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah. We want God's Holy Spirit to propel us towards reading scripture. What if this person is thinking, has been gotten, gotten some advice from a, a nominally Christian friend that they need to, you know, divorce their husband because they just aren't happy. And this and they're they're hearing this song and thinking like yeah I just need to sail away from my marriage like there's nothing intrinsic in the song that would help give somebody any ability to adjudicate between competing interpretations of the sentiments in the song and so the song merely provides metaphors and sentiments which don't have grounding which if I may don't have an anchor which is the word of God and truth so if that's the case it's just encouraging people to tickle their own ears with their own images and ideas. And for an example of a song that does this rather well, we might point to It Is Well With My Soul, where nautical imagery, water imagery is used precisely and carefully when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. So we have these two different images of water. One of them is gently flowing and the other one is the chaotic waves of the sea. We have peace in the heart and mind of the believer because of what Christ has done. I think that's that's a very good way to use water imagery that doesn't leave it open to vague interpretation. If, if, because if that were to be rewritten in 2020, we might see um, when rivers are flowing, when seas are billowing, you are my anchor. That has the same two images, but because they're unmoored from any context or sense, the metaphor is totally meaningless. Uh, I don't want to, I I don't have anything prepared on this, but you should know, Tyler, that in fact, It Is Well With My Soul was redone, not in 2020, but within the last eight years, I heard a version, a version was sent to me one time and I went and checked it out. And it basically kept the water metaphor 
and took out all the references to objective truth. Yeah. It was a disaster, and maybe maybe some point we'll we'll take a look at that song. But I'm it, looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, uh, we have a vague phrase for God. Rather than say who God is in any way, we have the king of my heart. And that, by the way, is never defined in the song. We don't actually know what that means. But then the, the singer asks the king of my heart to then be different things in a metaphorical sense. So we have vagueness wrapped up in further vagueness. So this is a song which just uses literary devices in the exact opposite way that they should be used. A literary device should be clarifying. It should help take something that's complex or something that is difficult to understand or something that is unfamiliar, and it should make it relatable or understandable. Mm-hmm. And this song just does the opposite. It, it it uses metaphor actually to distance and to untether the subject and object of the song from any kind of scriptural anchor. Not to mention, king of my heart could mean in a in the sense of a, a person who is not yet a believer, it could be the sinful man who does whatever he wants. And That's so true. in that case, the king of your heart is you, and you are where you go when you're anxious. You turn inward. You're the fountain you drink from. You're the shadow where you hide. Um, you're the wind inside your sails, propelling you to wherever the reckless captain wants to go. So obviously in Christ, we don't say that anymore. We thankfully have a sure, secure uh, king who has expelled that impulse. Mm-hmm. I will say there is one other metaphor that is a, illusory to Scripture, and that is the fountain metaphor in verse 1, the fountain I drink from, which f- for most people, they will know the story in uh, John, I don't have it written down, John 4, Woman at the Well. They'll know that story about Jesus talking about being a, a well of living water, a wellspring of living water. We also have Proverbs 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Uh, we have Jesus saying that if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and that's in John chapter 7, verse 37. So the fountain metaphor is illusory mm-hmm. to Scripture. And the drinking as well, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. And when the night is whole and all to me, God is whole and all. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. Very dangerous equivalency that it's offered here. Uh, to note, this isn't in every version of the song, but it is in the original um, I was very concerned that this equated God with the night, um, because you could say, when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on to me, therefore the night is God. But that's obviously not what they mean. Um, they mean when I am in darkness, or when I am being tempted, or when um, anxieties cripple me and are holding on to me and clinging to me, um, God is holding me secure. I hope that that's what they mean by this. I find the 
phrasing, you're never going to let me down, quite, quite dangerous, actually. I think that's a promise that we're making on God's behalf that he has never made about himself. Um, obviously, in the context that it was written, the the author is struggling with some great letdowns in her life. If If this phrasing by John Mark McMillan is true and she was suffering watching her parents divorce, that was a letdown for her. Um, but God is not beholden to our expectations in this life. And yes, we will not experience some sort of cosmic divorce. That is true. We, we need to remember that we are safe and secure in God, but that has nothing to do with our expectations. That was always true because of the nature of who God is. And so to tell people that you are, meaning God, is never going to let them down, I think sets them up for disappointment, actually. It sets them up to be let down by this false promise, <laughs> right. ironically. Right. Um, and you wouldn't notice this just in the written lyrics, but many times when this is sung, the um, never going to let me down is followed by you are good. And I've heard versions of this, very popular versions, where there's a cuz between them, which obviously uh... sets up not necessarily a causal relationship, but um, a logical uh, progression. If you are good, therefore, you're never going to let me down. And All I think right. that's the dangerous thought mm. that we need to resist. So if we're saying, um, never going to let me down because you are good. Well, what? What What sort of causal or logical structure have we created here where um, where God's goodness is tied to me not yeah. being let down? Yeah. Would you uh, Would you do this song in corporate worship, Tyler? I would not do this song in corporate worship. So like you, I would not do this song in a congregational setting. What did you what did you rate it, Tyler? I gave this song one sloppy wet kiss. Good. I gave this song one energizer battery. Cause it just keeps going. They're good. Bit. Yeah, they're good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> They also, you know, provide propulsion. Why do you need to sail? You stick one of those batteries in a little motor, stick it down in the water, make your boat go. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Batteries can do all the things that this song wants of the king of my heart, pretty much. Mm. So, yeah. Just don't drink from them. Don't drink the batteries, kids. That is a bad idea. That is a bad idea. We are not endorsing that. It might be helpful to listeners as we come to a close to think about the initial reasoning behind this song and what the author was uh, intending to communicate with this song. So just as a reminder, she wrote, I wrote King of My Heart to remind myself that there was no joy or sorrow that could dilute the pure goodness of who God was. Everything I thought I lost could actually be found in the force of his goodness. So this is a song that is meant to draw us to a praise of God and his goodness and a reassurance that that is un fading, unfailing. It cannot be watered down by the storms of life. And so, uh, Colin, what sort of songs would you like to recommend our listeners? Uh, there are a couple, some which emphasize God's goodness and others which emphasize his majesty, because the song is called King of My Heart, too. So she wants to talk about goodness, but also there's this idea of God being having majesty. So in terms of goodness, this is probably obscure for some. There is a song that 
uh, Sovereign Grace Music did, which I really like, called Generous King, which is a song about God as king, but as a benevolent king who gives gifts. Uh, so the chorus is, Generous King, you give out of your fullness, showering kindness. Uh, generous King, you give love never, mercies unending, love never failing, something like that. And it talk, it all, the song also in the verses discusses the cross, the ultimate gift of God, which is which is Christ. And I think that song just, again, more clearly and in very detailed ways portrays God's goodness, both generally and also in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's very good. And I think in the refrain of the song, the you're never going to let me down part mm-hmm. that keeps repeating I think is also hinting at God's steadfastness. Um, It's trying to hint at God's steadfastness, I think. And if I were trying to communicate that, I would probably recommend Greatest Thy Faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. And I think this Greatest Thy Faithfulness, this hymn, so beautifully captures our... Heavenly Father, um, yes, not letting us down, but not because of any of our expectations or, and not even necessarily um, because we're battered by the storms of life, but because it's part of his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those that sing psalms or that use the psalms in their service, Psalm 47 is fantastic. What was this? Was this the psalm that you were thinking of as no, well? No, it's just oh. cheeky because it sounds like there are people that don't like psalms or well, something like that. For, for there are people who who don't incorporate <laughs> psalms regularly right. in the service, and then if you get into some denominations, the OPC or the RPCNA or other denominations, they use they use psalms. Uh, so uh, Psalm forty seven: Clap your hands, all you people! Shout to God with loud songs of joy for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great King over all the earth. He subdued people under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. And there's a lot more in there that just talk about praising the king, God reigning, God sitting on the throne, the princes of people gather, um, and everything still, you know, the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So you could go through that psalm and really get a sense of God as king, but again, as a generous king, as a as a God who's giving things and bestowing blessings upon his people. Mm-hmm. Colin, at some point I'd like to discuss this word king, because I'm assuming in this psalm it's a translation of melech, and I would like to know what attributes one generally ascribes an ancient Near Eastern king, yes. because it's not necessarily, I'm certain it's not King Arthur. No, it's you know, not. I'm and certain it's, it's not King George. Yeah, I, it, hopefully so at some point we do a song which talks more about, because King of My Heart uses the idea of a king, but it doesn't get into the meaning of king, and maybe at some point we will, and yeah, I can actually bring in something. You know, you get to talk about linguistic stuff almost every episode, but uh, not German necessarily, but No, and but when I language. do, it gets shot down. But, <laughs> <laughs> but We, we want to have mercy on our listeners yes. and not destroy their eardrums. At some point, I maybe I can talk about ancient monarchy. That's right. One other song that I think is a preferable alternative to this song is a song called Who Is There Like You, which is by a dude named Paul Oakley. And it's a very simple song, but it it has a it speaks of the wonder of God and his goodness. Who is there like you? Who else would give their life for me? 
even suffering in my place. And it goes through uh, in the verse kind of explanation of what God has done. And then the chorus is very reflective and talks about lifting hands, lifting voice, singing to God in response to um, the generous gift of Christ. All right. Well, thank you all very much for listening. And we hope to see you in future episodes. Take care. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.